In today's podcast, I'm going to talk about how to build hypotheses in a more effective, a more methodical, and for lack of better words, a more messy approach. And the reason I'm presenting this podcast is because when we do cases with candidates, even our own clients, what always surprises us is how messy hypotheses are that are developed by candidates. It's almost as if people are just throwing out ideas they have without any real understanding of putting structure into it. So what do I mean when I say that? I think that most people are right brain thinkers by nature. That means that they'll throw out an idea first and then decide if it fits or solves the problem they are trying to address. And what I find with most messy with most hypotheses, sorry, is that they are very ill-considered, they have poor structure beneath them, and most importantly, they are not collectively exhaustive, nor are they mutually exclusive. And by nature, hypotheses are difficult to make mutually exclusive or collectively exhaustive, right? Think about it. You're developing these ideas, um, and then you have to explain why the problem exists, which is hard by itself. And then for each hypothesis, you have to check each hypothesis with the, with the next hypothesis you built to make sure you've listed every possible hypothesis and to make sure that an, that an issue you're covering in one hypothesis doesn't overlap into the other. That is difficult even without trying to build uh, hypotheses, but trying to package them into hypotheses while trying to get the, all the issues put into the right order is naturally going to be very difficult. So what I'm going to talk you through is a very clever technique we teach all of our clients in terms of how to build hypotheses that make sense. Now, most in most firms, whether it's BCG, McKinsey, or Bain, they like the hypothesis-led approach, although BCG tends to also be accepting of a decision-tree approach. And I've even seen McKinsey interviewers, we've had candidates who interviewed McKinsey and used completely a decision-tree approach to solve a case, and it, the approach works very, very well, right? The, the approach of using decision-trees tends to work less well at Bain, where they tend to be quite rigid in wanting hypotheses up front. In McKinsey, it depends on how well you use the decision-tree approach. If you use it poorly, they probably would think you couldn't do hypotheses, that's why you avoided it. And at Bain, and sorry, at BCG, it's, it's again, like McKinsey, they're not adamant they want hypotheses, they're okay with the decision tree approach as long as you use it, and in fact, if you use the decision tree, decision tree approach very well, they'd be very happy with the technique. Now, the, the technique we teach candidates is to develop a key question up front, then from your key question, brainstorm out the drivers of the key question, right, which gives you your structure, and then what I always teach candidates to do is that when you get to a McKinsey interview, you do the same things, right? But with a McKinsey interview or a Bain interview, you don't tell them what your key question is because for McKinsey and Bain, the key question in the case is very obvious usually. The case is not as conceptually difficult as, say, a BCG case. And then you build out your structure, as we taught you. But you don't discuss your key question and your structure. What you do is you build your key question and your structure purely to help you develop a framework. And then on each branch of your structure, you develop an hypothesis. So what do I mean by this, right? Let's assume that um, I gave you a case whereby I told you that a famous French restaurant, a single restaurant, standalone restaurant in downtown Manhattan had faced a steep drop in profits over, let's say, the last three years. Their profitability has gone from something like $10,000 a day to about um, $2,000, $1,000 a day. And they think it has a lot to do with the changes in the way they've um, altered their opening times, the menu, the clientele they serve, and so on. And primarily the fact that they've gone from only being open during lunch and dinner to being open throughout the day from 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. in the morning. They want you now to solve the case, help them address the problem. Now, the way we would teach candidates 
in a decision tree approach is we would tell them you need to take some time to ask clarifying questions. Come back. Once you've got your clarifying questions, you could ask the interviewer, well, you know, do you want to, is it possible for me to go through my clarifying questions? There are four of them. Um, they could help me develop my structure or would you prefer to see my structure up front knowing full well that my clarifying questions if asked may change my structure a little bit now that's a good technique because it gives the interviewer an option you know which approach do they prefer and they can guide you let's assume the interviewer said um, it's okay ask your clarifying questions you go ahead ask no more than four if you finish four and you want to ask more say well you know I've asked the four but two more have come up based on the conversation we had and ask it but don't go into seven eight ten questions don't try to solve the case right the clarifying question is not to solve the case is to identify the key question then you would take the information from the key question from the clarifying questions and you'd say okay I'm gonna paraphrase what you've given to me and what I'm going to say is that um, how can a French restaurant located in downtown New York move from $2,000 of profits to $10,000 of profits without altering its menu and without changing the cuisine it wants to offer. Assume not altering its menu and the cuisine it wants to offer are the answers to two of the clarifying questions. So you have to build in the information you ask in the clarifying question. Now for McKinsey and Bain, the clarifying question is largely redundant because they tend to give you the question very clearly up front. But for BCG, it could be different, right? But assuming this was a McKinsey case, you would you would develop your clarifying question but you won't tell the interviewer that you're developing it for yourself then from there you'd build a structure what drives profitability well clearly it'll be revenue and it'll be costs and the drivers of costs could be um, you know the different revenue streams so it's food alcoholic beverages non-alcoholic beverages um, it'll also be the time of the day that the restaurant is open um, and so on right costs would be fixed and variable costs now what many candidates would do is that they would simply ask the clarifying questions up front and throw out hypotheses. I would say don't do that. Develop your key question. Develop your structure, right? Develop your structure to the second level of branches. The first level of branches would be revenue minus costs. The second level of branches would be the drivers of revenue and the drivers of costs. Once you have the drivers of revenue and the drivers of costs, then develop an hypothesis for each branch. So develop an hypothesis for uh, the food revenue stream, the non-alcoholic beverage revenue stream, the alcoholic beverage revenue stream, the hours when the restaurant is open branch. For cost, develop a, a um, hypothesis of fixed cost, develop an hypothesis of variable cost. So just to recap, in a McKinsey and Bain interview, they're not going to see your key question. They may see your approach, but what you really want to show them is your hypotheses, right? So let's go through each hypothesis. I would say that since the restaurant is open longer hours, they may have they are most likely have alienated some clientele but also incurred higher costs, which is not compensated by higher revenues. Right? That's one hypothesis. On revenue, I would assume that, okay, um, there's a steep drop in revenue is driven by the fact that there is probably a different clientele coming in, which is demanding different prices. On the... Um, On the alcoholic beverage side, I'll come up with similar hypotheses, right? And on the fixed cost side and the variable cost side. Let's, let's take one of the more difficult ones. Let's look at the variable cost side. I would hypothesize that um, it is possible that uh, although variable costs have decreased due to the drop in revenue, uh, they have not 
um, decrease sufficiently to compensate for the drop in revenue. On the fixed cost side, I could hypothesize that due to the longer operating hours, our fixed costs may have increased to carry the longer operating hours. The point I'm trying to make here is that if you build your hypotheses of uh, branches of a decision tree, you are guaranteed to cover all the points because by default, your decision tree would be mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive, right? So if you build your hypotheses of your decision tree guaranteed, they're going to be collectively exhaustive. And because your decision tree is mutually exclusive, your hypotheses will also be mutually exclusive. So this is a very simple trick. When you're doing a McKinsey case, right? Don't show them your key question. Don't show them your decision tree, but use them. Build them and use them to develop your hypotheses and then present your hypotheses. And obviously, your hypotheses are dependent upon the information they've given you in the case and the clarifying information you've collected when you've asked clarifying inf uh, questions up front. This is a very simple technique to build hypotheses in a mutually exclusive and collectively exhaustive way. If you just throw them out without putting them on a structure, they will never work. And actually, your hypotheses would look pretty sad, to be honest. You would have no way of knowing whether they made sense. As always, if you have any questions, please feel free to write to me and I'll be happy to respond to them.